John Carr, and welcome to Matt Gamecast Episode 6, a podcast where we talk all about Matt Games, culture, history, tech, uh, interview people, and those kind of fun things. Today with me is Ted. How are you doing, Ted? Good, good. Lovely. And Casper, how are you? Good as always. Thank you. Up late for us. Thank you very much. And a star of the show it is Titus. How are you doing, sir? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for being here. If you wouldn't mind um, if you, uh, introducing yourself, basically, like what is it you do or uh, what kind of games you make? Yeah, I'm Titus McNally. I'm an indie developer with Rocket Adrift Games. Awesome. Awesome. And uh, when did Rocket Adrift uh, Forumer get started? Well, it started back in 2016. It was kind of two different companies. Um, one that I was running myself and another one that Lindsay and Pat were running that, that I was a frequent kind of guest on. And so we just decided to merge the two companies. Oh, that's it cool. It became a, a game company, though, I think in um, 2018. Right. Nice. Before uh, that, we did um, animations. And uh, a podcast. We still do a podcast, but it was a very different podcast back then. Okay, interesting. Uh, Casper was mentioning you do a some sort of cyberpunk, uh, like D and D podcast. Is that right? Yeah, we play um, you know, a cyberpunk twenty twenty, and now uh, Red, which is essentially yeah, like a D and D, but in a cyberpunk setting. Very interesting. Um, I know people play D&D all sorts of ways these days, um, though I've never heard of it in a podcast form. Is that something that's pre-recorded or kind of done live and saved? How does how does that work? Well, people can do it uh, a bunch of different ways. We do pre-recorded because we like to put a lot of production value into it. So uh, we edit it um, and Pat writes music for it. Ooh. Uh, so, you know, we... we uh, we try to make it a bit of a production, I suppose, but the, plenty of people are doing it on Twitch. It just isn't our uh, modus operandi because we like to uh, have some control over the quality. Yeah, and I'd actually be more interested, I think, in the audio version. I'll I'll check it out. I really like cyberpunk um, as a theme in general. Um, long ago, of course, I was really hyped for the game that came out, whatever, eight months ago or something. Seventy-seven. Yeah, 2077. Um, I've never played the D&D, but the uh, like a produced podcast actually sounds very compelling. Um, I know, Ted, you, this is like a related tangent. You said, I think, you were doing a, a D&D campaign by email. Yeah. <laughs> so that's interesting. Um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, D&D started a lot of games and a lot of... I wonder, like, it, does anybody here know who um, was like the first recorded person to sort of invent... D and D or come up with it or anything. Gary like Gygax is the yeah. Oh, it was Gygax. Okay. D&D. Yeah, Gygax. Yeah. Okay. He like formalized all the rules and everything like that. Okay. I believe it but was some cy- kind cy- of. Cy- mm, sorry, I believe sorry, it was go some ahead, kind of strategy game called Chainmail before, and then he um, he added some kind of uh, rules for a fantasy setting, and that sort of kicked off D and D. That I think it's quite different from what we play to these days, but. That's sort of a lot different. The lineage, yeah. Sure. Yeah, the lineage. I always like to know where things start, but I don't always. Sometimes I just idly wonder and I don't research, and that's what happened just now. Um, (laughs) But as far as uh, computer or video games go, uh, what does does Rocket Adrift uh, develop? Well, we've developed um, two games so far. Uh, Our first game was a very short experience called Order a Pizza, a visual novel. Uh, That was about a divorced dad trying to uh, order the perfect pizza for a very awkward dinner between um, his new girlfriend and his daughter. And then uh, our our latest effort was uh, Raptor Boyfriend, which is a dating sim uh, with with cryptids and a raptor. That all sounds very dramatic and compelling. Um, (laughs) uh, Ted, I think you were wondering what what cryptids were. Yeah, I, <laughs> just before I just started with this, I was actually reading the description on uh, Steam of the game, and it talked about a town, a community of uh, cryptids, and I go, what the heck's a cryptid? <laughs> so, I yeah, would um, So, go ahead. You tell me what you got. <laughs> oh, sorry. Yeah, it's. I, I guess it, I, I sort of hadn't heard the word for a while, and then all of a sudden it seemed to be everywhere for me. 
um, people, I guess, had a, a real enthusiasm for them. The Mothman and uh, Loch Ness Monster, all sorts of things. I find it, I, I actually really uh, am interested by these kind of creatures that we uh, create in our minds and how they can be linked to certain places or certain ideas. That is really interesting. Um, yeah, speaking of, uh, you know, how things get started, you know, where do you, like, where are you drawing the sorts of uh, inspirations or ideas to make your games from? Because they sound very, very interesting subject-wise to me. It's really, uh, so Rocket Address is a very collaborative group. Um, so a lot of the times the idea or the writing is the result of three people kind of bouncing ideas off of each other. And um, in the case of uh, Raptor Boyfriend, it was kind of a a long-running bit of a joke that we had with each other. Like, what if there was a teen drama, but it it had a a, a literal dinosaur in it? (laughs) Uh, And we would kind of bounce that idea, and it kind of just sort of existed in our own kind of mythology for a very long time. Uh, And then we uh, initially wanted to sort of turn it into an animated project but um we were talking about making the move away from animation because we didn't feel that uh it was really uh, welcomed that much in the youtube uh world and Mm. spectrum and it was very hard to keep something like that going so we wanted to move towards game design because I was getting interested in it, and uh, we are also looking for a way to sort of create, I guess, um, more of an impact, but also a product. That's interesting. Um, yeah, especially when you mentioned uh, the first game, um, the, the I'm sorry, the name excites me, the one about the ordering uh, the perfect pizza. Yeah. Um, yeah, that sounds like a very interesting and to some people relatable situation. You know, even if it's not that exact specific circumstance, it's like... I have to do this thing with these people that I either know or I'm trying to get to know, and it could be really awkward and you want to do it right. Like, I think a lot of people could relate to that idea and, you know, you could switch around the roles to be different things. In this case, it's the Doris dad and daughter and, uh, and the girlfriend. I didn't, I looked at that page. I didn't download it yet on, um, that's on itch, right? Itch.io, I believe. Yeah, um, that's right. Yeah. So uh, I didn't get to play that one yet, I'm afraid. But that's that's next on my list. I have I did I did play uh, like 20 minutes of Raptor Boyfriend. Um, I was very uh, I didn't know what to expect, I guess, but it exceeded my expectations. Um, I liked. I'm not a visual novel expert or anything, but I do love to read. I think the only visual novel I've technically played through is the Miskatonic, which is a like Cthulhu horror sort of dark comedy. Um, which was originally intended to be more of a game, but they turned it into a visual novel. So that was, so you can technically control your character by walking around, but you don't actually do anything other than walk around and talk to people. So it's really a slightly glorified visual novel. <laughs> There's no other gameplay. You just go and talk to people and click on things. You know, it's not a, like an adventure game. But um, when you mentioned the animation and like YouTube series, thinking of Raptor Boyfriend, the way you frame things, I was mm. very impressed. Like the the transitions, the framing, the colors. Um, uh, the girl Stella is like having flashbacks basically. And I love that. Well, spoiler, she's talking to her doctor, uh, which turns out to be this dressed up like panda bear or something, not panda bear, like teddy bear, like all officially dressed. I, I love that touch, but he doesn't reveal it for a little bit because of the way the camera angles work. So I was really drawn in by um, the camera angles, a- angles, kind of the way the scenes transitioned. Um, the fact they got to choose some dialogue options, um, I thought it was really cool, you know. Well, thank, well, thank you. Yeah, um, it was very important to us to kind of give it, I guess that those kind of that kind of look because we felt that uh, a lot of visual novels have a viral separation, I guess, between the characters and the background. And I, having made Raptor Boyfriend, I totally understand why people go for that because uh, doing it the other way is a lot of work and a lot of assets, you know. To, <laughs> To create those kind of things, but um, right. you know, we felt that it was important to uh, to the look and feel that we wanted to get. So, yeah, I think you definitely succeeded. Um, there's a richness and depth to it. I I wasn't expecting. I was just like, wow, this is yeah. There's a lot of layers to the scene. There's a sense of like a real sense of space with the characters. Not I'm trying to critique other visual novels, but a lot of them can be a little 
just kind of flat or not very animated or whatever. Um, and this one definitely, I think you definitely nailed it. So I'd say your work paid off, uh, in, in terms of the experience, the feel, uh, in my opinion, anyway, Casper, did you get a chance to check any of the games out? What do you think? Yeah, I've, I've played a bunch of, uh, well, I say a bunch, I've played about, uh, two hours and 40 minutes or something like that of Raptor boyfriend, I think. Oh, wow. Um, and uh, yeah, I agree. I, I like the aesthetics of it. Uh, Pat's done a great job with the the music for the game. Um, the art style in general is great. And I, I what I like is um, the way you have this weird world of cryptids. Let's use the word again, just to make it everywhere. Ted, <laughs> <laughs> um, and and sort of humorous things going on. You know, you mentioned the teddy bear before, um, but you also have more serious topics uh like social anxiety and things like that playing a part in it and the game isn't all silly and it's not all serious but you have a nice little blend there and the serious topics are also handled in a pretty pretty nice way i think where it feels like the the understanding of uh the mind space is there well thank you um it's <laughs> really important to try to try to do that justice you know and so we tried to take a, a long time and to do a lot of sort of editing in the writing and get feedback on, on writing those sorts of things. And uh, yeah, I think um, it's very difficult for you to make a game of anything. That's even a, even a short game like Raptor boyfriend and try to maintain a tone of like comedy constantly, or even uh, maybe drama constantly. I feel I feel like in in a in a sort of a story or narrative game, uh, you have to kind of have those peaks and valleys and those different tones because uh, if someone's just sitting there telling you jokes for hours, it's gonna it's gonna wear down on you. <laughs> and uh, same thing if they're trying to uh, constantly, um, you know, be dramatic. I think so. It was very important even at the outset that we were like, this game needs to have a lot of flavors to it for it to work. Nice. Yeah. I, I think that's definitely critical. Um, if anything's kind of unrelenting, whether it's comedy, drama, darkness, violence, sort of anything, it's just like, you need, you need some balance, you know, to give the players some different experience. And you, when you come back to the other flavor, it's like, ah, it's even more like kind of tasty kind of a thing. Uh, if you want to say it that way. Um, so that's definitely cool. In terms of the the subject matters, I also started noticing that um, the the serious sort of comedic slash serious thing going on. Casper um, was mentioning you were just talking about, um, and also exploring the sort of mythology and the cryptids. Um, right away, there's this initial talk of going to this lake, and maybe there's a big lake monster, and it might have, um, and there's a ghost that shows up who's really entertaining. Uh, Ingrid, the ghost who may or may not have been eaten by the lake monster. And it's just, yeah, it it, uh, gets started like going very quickly in terms of like the story and the characters. And I really like that. Um, So I was, I'm already curious, like, well, is there a lake monster? Isn't there like, did it kill Ingrid? Like, you know, I only played a little bit and I'm already like curious to know more. So uh, I think that's a sign of a good narrative, you know, narrative hooks basically. Well, thank Uh, you. Yeah. Yeah. I was curious um, because I didn't get a chance to, go back and like try different choices um is uh, is the game are the dialogue choices sort of surface level are there real like huge decision making points or is it more just kind of like individual flavor like this is how i want to express stella you know in the moment there's a sort of a combination of uh, all of those um in the choices there are some that are uh going to just sort of flavor the dialogue uh, for the next couple of lines. There's others that are sort of callback ones that will, um, you know, plant something in the game that will be called back later on. And then there's the sort of uh, bigger choices that will ultimately determine the ending of the game. Right. Because, uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I think um, a lot of times uh, it's... I, I, I sort of like that approach because... Um, I I've uh, I kind of grew up playing the Mass Effect series, and I know that there was uh, I kind of looked at that as like I enjoyed the first one where I got to sort of decide how I said hello to a person, even though I knew that wasn't going to matter later on. It kind of 
added to my role playing of that of the character of Commander Shepard. Right. And and so we tried to take that approach, uh, and also to give it more replay value. In that, there you the next time you play through it, you would try to approach an interaction a little bit differently and see a different side of of Stella and the other characters. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I noticed that right away. You know, you can introduce yourself. Uh, you can like be cool or be funny or even lie or just be truthful and all this kind of stuff. And already right away, I was like, oh, well, these choices all seem interesting. You know, I would actually like to see the outcome of more than one. Um, and as you mentioned as well, that little bit of player agency and kind of the role playing um, also comes through. I, you know, I think it's very hard, um, generally speaking, to write a character with fixed interactions and dialogue and of course a lot of like big budget games do this where you can't really control what you say your character is just a character and you're kind of acting them out um and you can't choose anything not like mass effect i don't know just say like bioshock i love the story and narrative nonetheless um everything's more or less pre-scripted um so it's like you need to be able to say identify with the character somehow or have to approve of their choices or i mean you have some choices in the game for example but or um if you take bioshock infinite to continue the example like if you don't like um the main npc in the game like the game will totally fall flat for you that has to like you have to connect with her and that's to be believable so it's like well how do you do that for everyone who plays the game that's kind of a tall order so giving the player some agency goes a long way towards alleviating that i think in any kind of game you know, even if it is only surface level, even if it's only how you say hello or or whatever, even if it's basic, um, I think that helps a lot. I think there's also an importance to the illusion, right? Because if you really do try and immerse yourself in the world of a game, it doesn't matter if something is mechanically surface level, if it feels important, right? Right. Um, yeah, so, good point. Um, I was thinking a bit about writing for narratives that can go separate directions depending on player choice. Um, does does writing a narrative that, that can split off like that um, not explode tremendously in combinatorics and things like that? And how do you sort of manage writing something like that? Well, it does, it, to be honest, it really does explode. You know, this, uh, this project um, was much bigger than we anticipated. And uh, it comes from those kind of exponentially having to write the the character dialogues again and again and again. Uh, if you giving someone a certain amount of choice in episode one, you can't cut back on that in episode two. Uh, you have to continue with what you've delivered. And so it becomes kind of a tall order. Uh, and you have to kind of, we initially were very, kind of ambitious in the way we wanted to handle it. And you end up sort of like uh, realizing that the kind of decisions that people made in other visual novels, they made for a reason, you know, and it, it really comes down to uh, getting the project in, in a reasonable amount of time, because uh, especially when you're a small team. So uh, it does become uh, quite an ordeal because you, you don't just have to write like one satisfying ending, which in itself is hard enough. You have to deliver one for every character that you've set up with certain choices paying off that you, that have been throughout the game. And that was tremendously yeah. uh, taxing. Uh, there's no way of getting around that. I have a lot of risk. I started off uh, this project with um, feeling like we could make a, a better visual novel than anyone ever had. Uh, and I ended it with a lot of respect for visual novels that maybe I, uh, I didn't have before because <laughs> it's very difficult, you know, to do something like that. And it took a lot out of uh, us and me personally, just going through the writing process and, and figuring out how we were going to code all of those decisions in order to make them meaningful. So, you know, I haven't, yeah, it, 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 it does kind of explode on you. And if you don't kind of sometimes give yourself some ways of taking shortcuts, then uh, it can get completely out of hand. So did you have to like later on in the project, go back to prior parts and cut them down a bit so that later parts that maybe weren't as expanded wouldn't feel less expensive than prior sections or. Uh... If, to be honest, I guess um, the way that this game really moved was in an expanding direction. 
because we realized that we didn't have enough kind of character drama to sustain a game and that the game had to be a certain amount in order to to sort of pay off the promise that we made of its premise. And so we had to add in more characters and we had to add in conflicts because uh, the first couple drafts of it, uh, it was really kind of spinning its wheels and covering the same ground. And we found characters kind of just repeating like, Oh, this is my, this is my arc. And I have to stay here in the middle until you get to a certain point of the game and then it's going to resolve itself. And so we realized that it was a game without a middle, you know, we Mm. had set up, we had set up the kind of characters in in an interesting way and we knew where we wanted to get to, but you can't just hang around in limbo, right? You have to, the story has to be moving forward as the game goes. And in that way, we ended up having to expand it uh, greatly in order to sustain the type of game we were making. That's very interesting. Uh, would you be able to share how long it took you to make the game? Yeah, it was, um, it was, I think just under three years that we were uh, working on this. And uh, it's, we actually made order a pizza in between that time. We, um, (laughs) a game jam had come up and we decided to try to get some experience under our belt because we felt like, because when we started this, we had no experience as a game company. Right. And by the time we finished it, we had, you know, uh, we had to learn as we go. And uh, I think a lot of that time, at least at the beginning, was prototyping and trying to nail down what type of game it was going to be before we just kind of realized we should settle on a dating sim because that makes sense, you know. But uh, when we were early on in the process, we were, you know, exploring uh, the amounts of point and click areas that we have. We ended up cutting that down to one central hub in between uh, certain chapters in the story where because we could make that meaningful uh but you know initial prototypes of the game had every scene you could click around but it, we found uh and i'm not not to criticize that cthulhu game i'm sure it's great but we found that the only purpose of that was to kind of move the story forward so it ended up being this kind of stopgap where it's like okay now click the next thing to get the next story and at least for the game we were try to, trying to make and the feel we were trying to go to, you, that start and stop nature was just not helping you get immersed into the game or the story. No, I, I would agree with that. Um, the, the Cthulhu game, I did yeah, I did a review of it. I even forget what I re- actually pulled it up. What did I review it? Uh, I gave it a three out of five. Um, so, you know, not bad. Um, but, but the start and stop nature you just mentioned, like it didn't actually add anything. I was basically... I felt like it was a leftover component of the game they intended to make because mm. it was supposed to be like some sort of you're supposed to be the security guard at a Cthulhu lab or something weird. And someone's always getting eaten by a tentacle or whatever. Um, but there's no actual gameplay around that. You never like go on patrol. You never like deal with any monsters. You literally just walk from room to room and there's no exploring. There's no puzzle. Literally all you do is go and talk to people. So it's really visual novel move but with some moving around in between there's some nice art and everything but it doesn't really add i guess you can go and click back on a few characters and talk a little more i guess maybe that's the only kind of purpose there but i i prefer the more immersive style you went for personally um because it doesn't there's not this like oh i'm suddenly out of the experience now and now i gotta like poke around and do something random or like you said you're really just clicking to advance the story um so it wasn't meaningful um I, I did critique that in my review of the game, so um, I'm very happy to. Uh, you went for the more immersive style. Uh, you were talking about uh, initial pre-production, basically, of your game, um, and it seems even um, you know very large studios go through this too. I was just listening to a um, retrospective on Dead Space the other day, um, horror game. Mm. And the director was saying they spent five or six months just figuring it, like trying to figure out what kind of game they were going to make and like what it would really be and what like the world, like quite a bit of time or maybe even up to a year before like they started like, okay, here's our game. Now we're working on it, you know? So even with a big team and all kinds of people and blah, 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 it seems like it takes quite a while to like 
come to this, yeah, what kind of game are we really making or, or what, what, what are we capable of doing with, with our team or our resources? Um, so I thought that was an interesting parallel to hear it both from you and just the other day from, you know, a AAA studio as well. Um, so maybe that's just game development. <laughs> I, I really do think so. I really do think it's probably the hardest thing to do, you know, because if you know what type of game you're making, you can code it. You can make the art for it. You can make the music for it because there's a direction and you know when to stop. You know, you know when you've got there. But if you don't have that pinned down, you can you can be building and building and building, but you're really just trying to find the game. You're hoping that uh, adding more code will, will, will suddenly bring the game into existence or you're hoping that the next iteration of the art is going to pin down what type of game it's going to be. So um, I think it's the, I think it is the hardest thing and it can take, it can take a while or uh, in the case of order a pizza, when we went to a game jam, we didn't have that time. And so we just had to hit the ground running and really pin it down. But um, it, I think that uh, you have to, you know, it, it, without knowing that you can spin your wheels quite a bit. And uh, I think a lot of games, when you hear about developers that don't finish their game, I'm not sure that they ever really knew what that game was. Right. Yeah, no, it's it's unfortunate. Um, and this happens also, whether, again, indie space, AAA space, you see it. Um, you see games that are too ambitious, like Cyberpunk mm. 2077. You see games that are just kind of incomplete. These aren't Mac games, but something like Anthem from BioWare. Um, I guess you could say overambitious and incomplete are kind of two sides of the same coin, but in some cases you can tell games just, yeah, it, it lacks like a vision. Uh, in the case of, say, Anthem, um, it really feels like they took two completely different games and smashed them together. This, like, first-person hub-talking sort of oddball thing with, like, the third-person open-adventure, open-world, semi-open-world action-adventure thing. And there's just there's just no relation between them. But they oh, tried I- to do it. It was just really awkward, you know. Absolutely, because I mean, Anthem started before uh, before Andromeda did. So they were there was no way that they were planning on making this multiplayer uh, experience when they started, quote unquote, Project Dylan. Right? right? They 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 had imagined that they were going to do what they were good at, which was make a, a new IP and do the and give it the Mass Effect treatment, I think. Right, right. <laughs> no, it definitely it definitely feels that way because when you're in the city in first person, it's all single player. There's no other yeah. players with you. Even if you're in a party, they're just in a little party tab somewhere. There's no one else there. It's just you and your experience and your choices because you can't, you know. So that's very interesting to me. Um, I actually met the Anthem devs at PAX East in, I think, 2018. Um, that was interesting, but, um, you know, I really liked that game and I'm really sad they didn't, I don't want to get too off on a tangent on Anthem, but I think this concept of development is very interesting. Um, I was sad it got like the, the 2.0 project got canceled, but in terms of like the vision, same thing I remember hearing, uh, flying wasn't even in, in the game till way later, like years in. And that was, that became the main mechanic is flying around in your big, you know, mech suit. Um, and apparently that didn't even come from the game to like the team. It came from their, their, the CEO or something. They sat him down to play a demo and he's like, this should have flying in it. Give, give, give me flying. And they're like, what? And then suddenly, oh my God, this is so cool. So, um, I mean, not to say there can't be an organic process in game development. You may have also stumbled across things, you know, in Raptor Boyfriend, like, oh, this is really cool. We'll add this in. But it seems odd that. It basically speaks to his lack of vision. Suddenly, years later, you stumble across the main mechanic to your game. Like, that doesn't bode well. Like, and suddenly you're changing the whole game and all the mechanics around that and the balance and the enemies and the weapons. And Or, I guess in the case of Raptor Boyfriend, maybe you started out to make a totally different game. And then suddenly you pivoted halfway through to make a dating sim or something. And be like, well, that sounds difficult. Um, yeah. I mean, yeah, I guess and I mean, yeah. with, with the added uh, pressure, I think, of the AAA studios is that... Um, you have to. You have the CEOs at the top who are chasing trends, you know. So they uh, they're like, "We want that Fortnite money. Can you mm-hmm. make? We know you're good at making these uh, single player RPGs, but what we really need is a a multiplayer looter." And I I I feel 
for the people in that situation. And uh, it's one of the, I think the great thing about being independent is you don't have to, you don't necessarily have to uh, listen to that stuff. Right. You can follow um, within, within your capabilities or your finances or your time or whatever, follow your, your passion and make really spend the time to make the kind of game you want um, without somebody telling you. Yeah. That's definitely there, you know, um, bigger studios, producers, investors, publisher, publisher gives you a deadline. You got to make it or blah, blah, blah. And all this nonsense. Um, so glad you had the time, uh, even though you said it was taxing, um, and uh, you said you tried to set out to make like the best visual novel ever. I haven't completed it, but in terms of my first impressions, it's the best looking visual novel like experience I've seen. So um, I'm very impressed by the work you've done on it. Well, thank you. Um, I, I wouldn't say it's the best, but uh, <laughs> I'm I'm proud of it. You know, and uh, and like I said, it was a humbling experience. That I, I I said that to speak to maybe my arrogance at the beginning of this project <laughs> compared to right uh, um, being humbled. In in terms of um, like when you started, like once you knew the kind of game you were making, was there any other games you played or took inspiration from or tried to get ideas or anything like that? The for me, the one that really changed my mind about uh, what was capable in a visual novel was Doki Doki Literature Club. Uh, it was um, it horrifying. You know, I did. I, I wasn't <laughs> expecting a, a psychological horror to be uh, nested in a game like that, and uh, it really affected me. And I realized kind of uh, what that genre could do. And the other one that I really enjoyed was uh, Valhalla, the cyberpunk uh, bartending sim. And uh, yeah. it was played way more straight, but I really enjoyed the kind of uh, kind of um, piece you could find in kind of like a work sim, you know, in, in just making drinks for people and getting into conversations. And I realized that, like, if the characters are good and the setting is good, then uh, it's not, you don't have to the gameplay is not as important as the overall experience is. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Uh, it's sort of in that same vein. There's also papers, please, where you sort of do a, monot a somewhat monotonous task of just check the paperwork, da, da, da. but the story of and the people you meet along the way really carry the game into something else, right? Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> I was thinking of it as well. So one thing is like what, other games and things might have inspired you along the way but do you feel like um the experience of other things like doing the cyberpunk podcast or um, prior experiences in hobbies or whatever have influenced the development process maybe the writing style or the artwork or something like that yeah i think um on a one-to-one -one, that what really influenced the kind of art style and the look of the game was that we had done animation before and we felt that it was really important to have uh, close-ups and medium shots and wide shots and to establish the, uh, the background and to have sort of comedic timing between the shot reverse shot type of interactions that we were having. Uh, so that's like a very kind of direct um, kind of influence on that. Uh, in terms of telling the story in the cyberpunk uh, podcast that we do, I, it just I think it's like I really like telling stories and creating quirky characters and having a setting uh, that uh, I've been doing that for so long that this is definitely, uh, I think, kind of whether it influenced it or not, it just kind of re revealed that like, since I'm so interested in this, I, I need to find a way to to do this more, to create characters and the world and a setting, you know. Oh, that's fascinating. Um, oh, you definitely have a talent for it, absolutely, um, in your games. Like, you mentioned the game, uh, <coughs> sorry, the game jam. I think that had a week time limit or something like that. We had a month for that one. Oh, a month, okay. There's a different one that I think it's a week. I forget what it is. Um but I've but I've seen those occasionally. Whatever those kind of game gems are, a week a month, and what kind of games come out of it is always fascinating. But um, in terms of the characters, I want to latch onto that a little more as someone who I really like theme in a game, and I I, I can be very particular about the games I play. But ultimately, I'm also very into just a story, even if it's something I may not 
Like, I'm not huge on visual novels in general or dating sims in general, but I've poked around them occasionally. And what I'm interested in is, yeah, is there interesting characters here? Is there interesting drama here or momentum of some kind, something compelling, you know, to make me want to play the game or experience the story or the characters or their arcs and things like that? So you guys uh, clearly have a talent for it. Um, And I'd be like, uh, I hope you're I hope you're making a game right now or collaborating with something like i want more of your i guess i should go and listen to your podcast and see what you've cooked up um i feel like you have this really interesting imagination i don't know how big your team is three people i think you said yeah it's three Um, people so it's like small but mighty you know um i'm very (laughs) curious what like I'm, i'm i'm like i'm just theorizing in my head like what you what you might make i don't know um I'm just I'm just rambling, but I'm I'm basically I want to see more from you because I really like the kind of characters you've made, even though I've only experienced them a little bit. Um, and like you were talking about the Valhalla game, uh, I've only played it that demo of it. But um, same thing, like the experience. Um, so if you can add, kind of like my favorite games are ones that have like good gameplay and good experience or good mm. characters, like fun gameplay and a nice story. Like those are some of my favorites. I tend to play a lot of like bigger RPGs and stuff, um, Divinity Original Sin or the old Deus Ex game and even the newer ones, like gameplay plus story really draws me in. Um, but if I have to have just one, I'd probably rather have a story because if it's just boring, repetitive gameplay with nothing meaningful to it, it's just like, well, that gets old really fast. Um, but a good story can carry itself along and keep pulling you in with new beats, new characters, new arcs or whatever. So, or res- payoffs and resolutions and things like that. So, um, yeah, I guess, um, uh, can you say if you guys are working on a new game or even conceiving of one or anything like that? Uh, yes, yes, we are. We, um, we're already uh, working on a prototype for, uh, for a new game that will, uh, I think probably be a little more linear in terms of the story, but, uh, will have more gameplay elements. Cool. Awesome. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. Fantastic. It was kind of a necessity because uh, Raptor Boyfriend wasn't the million dollar hit that was uh, going to make us all retire. So we have <laughs> to get back to the drawing board and uh, and try right. to sell something else now, you know? Sure. But um, Yeah. Yeah. Right. I also want to commend, because I know I'm the one on the podcast. I don't want to take all the credit. Uh, I think if there's any success in the writing it really comes from a collaboration of three people who uh, have been doing this for a long time and working together. You know, if, uh, if this was just me writing it on my own, I don't think that it would have been very good because uh, I didn't, I I don't have a lot of knowledge of the kind of teen drama tropes that uh, my other team members really helped to bring uh, it all together, you know? And uh, I also think that, uh, if there was sort of one person in charge of the writing, then there can be kind of these power dynamics where I think that in our collaboration, the strongest ideas are the one that survive rather than okay. uh, any particular person's um, right. being able to, to take control of that. And I think that's a, that's that's a nice kind of thing that you get from a company that's, that's set up like that rather than, you know... Uh, a bigger kind of production company. So how did you sp- split out the, the tasks that needed to be do, uh, done? Was everything collaborative or were there, you know, uh, like Pat doing the music or something like that? Was there things that were more one person's category and separated like that? Yeah. I think that we all have like a strong suit that we, we bring to this. Um, and Pat is, background art and the music and a lot of the sort of ability to do the writing and editing of the stuff. You know, we, we all split the writing as evenly as possible, but they were able to be the kind of constant eye on the bigger, the bigger issues of the story. Um, Lindsay's one of the most talented sort of character designers that I've ever worked with. Uh, and she was able to take something like a Sasquatch and make it into a cute boy that someone would want to date. And I feel like <laughs> I'm 
in awe of that ability. And I kind of watched the transforming of that character from early iterations to the, the final. And I, I think that these characters are extremely like charming just to look at. You immediately get like a lot out of them. Yeah. I think that um, my strong suit, if I have one is that I, uh, in the early phases, I'm very good at learning what it's going to take to make a project like this and to be able to work on prototypes, to learn a new game engine if we have to, and to be able to kind of give these really rough estimations of what the game is going to be, have to be overall in terms of laying things out in a very rough state to be like, here's how we can compose this shot to make it interesting before someone else comes in and makes the art better. But I, I, yeah. And then I think we all add something of our personalities into the writing. That's, uh, I had a question about the, uh, the little bit more on the technical side of it. Um, when I went to look for the, the demo and to download it, uh, my version of Steam tells me that my computer might not be able to run it because it's not signed off as a 64-bit application. Um, you know, are you aware of that? Is I know it's not a problem. That's one of the reasons why I wanted to bring it up because it didn't have a problem playing it on my my machine. But um, and this is on the Mac side. You know, since mm. Macs went 64 bit, you know, so Steam put a little warning in there. Now I've seen it on other games before, and I don't, you know, but this being a newer game, I kind of didn't expect that. I mean, I think that that's a the build was created on PC, and then uh, and then it was made distributable to the Linux and the Mac, and we did some testing on Macs. Uh, we all work uh, in on PC. And okay. Windows. Uh, okay. As for that, there's just been a tremendous amount of issues we found with the Mac builds in Steam. Like, okay. uh, it, there seems to be a lot more hoops in terms of making achievements and uh, <laughs> and, and other things, like just small things that you wouldn't expect in terms of. Uh, for huh. for some reason, it's always the Mac build whenever there's a problem. Hmm. Okay. That's interesting about the problem you had, though, Ted, because uh, so I bought the game before the demo came out, and okay. Steam did not have the 64-bit version or 64-bit uh, warning for that. So that's kind of funky. Yeah, I, I think, just I think uh, the demo has it, but the game doesn't. Uh, the game oh, runs maybe. fine. It actually is compatible. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. So uh, I've seen that a lot. Um, because on all these big like Steam indie demo showcase things that have been going on the last this year, last year, I've gone and downloaded like twenty, thirty demos in a day and tried to play through them all, and failing of course, but playing a bunch of different things <laughs> um, <laughs> and noticing the same thing. A bunch of things were flagged incorrectly. Some, in fact, were flagged correctly and they wouldn't open. But um, or in a couple cases, I later went and bought the game and the game was fine. It had no, it had no thirty, you know, no warning. So I think it's, but I've noticed it specifically on demos. Um, is what I'm why I'm mentioning this something to do with the demo build or it's a certain branch and as far as like Mac and Steam and uh, problems that doesn't surprise me um, uh, Steam's notoriously kind of uh, misbehaves on Mac anyway mm-hmm. a lot of people complain about it um, I run the beta version personally that's the only way it gets around some issues um, so I don't you know I'm not surprised um, that you've run in, run into issues there Um Sorry to hear that. That's that's annoying. I'm sure you know. No, no developer wants extra headaches and extra work and more more uh, hoops to jump through, like you mentioned, um, and, that, and little things like achievements. That, and that's just that's just weird. Um, but that's the end. Uh, that's the Mac life, unfortunately. In many cases, unless you know, maybe you're a specialist, like you know, some of the people on our side, uh, Feral Interactive or whatever, Aspire Media, like. Or you know, there's there's individuals who also specialize in Mac porting, but um, yeah, you know, but uh, I didn't, you know, I only played a little bit. I didn't see any bugs, um, so I think you've ironed them out. It's just the demo's flagged, but it works fine. So anyone listening can go ahead and yeah. freely freely download it. No worries mm-hmm. there. Yeah, and I'll have to look into why that would happen because um, it shouldn't. Pur- yeah, purportedly it's uh. 
a 32-bit or 64-bit um, flag or toggle? That's as yeah, far that's as I what know. I was. I think it's just oh. a toggle, and I think the game itself has to have it. That's what I've read some mm. time ago, but I don't know that for certain because I don't develop it. Just yeah. <laughs> when I switched over the 64-bit, I kept running into that. I mean, I have a ton of older games that don't work on the Mac anymore because of that. So yeah, so There's they don't a, they don't a, run at all now. That uh, yeah, if it's truly cool. if it's truly 32-bit. Oh, so there's a lot of the Mac gaming is very complicated right now. Um, yeah, it's, it's kind of so we've gone through multiple transitions in a short period of time. Mm. So depending on your hardware and your software, you may or may not be able to run a game. If you've upgraded to a certain version of a certain OS of Mac OS X, uh, Catalina, or Catalina above, you can't run 32-bit applications anymore. They just refuse to launch. Um, that's where the Steam warning pops up that Ted was talking about. Um, but if you have an earlier version, you could still run them. So some people are still holding out and not upgrading. But then we have the hardware issue where if you have one of the newer Apple Silicon machines, some other things may or may not run because of the hardware thing and some right. things being emulated. <laughs> so you have this double whammy of 32 to 64, then also to Apple Silicon and which one you're at and where in this like timeline spectrum and like how many games you can play and a bunch of old games, you know, were um nixed upgrading to the new hardware but then in some cases you can't play new games unless you have the newer os and newer hardware so it's like you could be caught in the middle um yes so i i also feel a bit for anyone developing (laughs) some stuff for mac right now it's got to be uh a bit of a headache if you're trying to like straddle the different zones basically of hardware and software and whatever it's a little ridiculous honestly so (laughs) The good news, like, though, you don't you don't have to worry about it, Titus. I've checked that like Raptor Warfare runs fine on the newest OS of macOS. It's 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 just yeah. a Steam no. flag that pops up. Yeah, here. it's just a flag. I I know because mm. I was running the demo. I had no problems at all with it. So um, I just wanted to you know bring that up because I mean somebody'd see that and go, oh, I guess you can't run it. I'm not going to get it, you know. But it's new. Mm. And it shouldn't be that way. So I figured if I brought it up, someone, you know, you would. Um, question, question for you on the on the when you do release the game, seeing as you're coming, you know, you're developing it on PC platform. So the the software essentially that you use to do the development lets you output a particular version to another uh, something other than what you're using. And do you, you know? Do you, then that then you also got to find testers for all those platforms as well, correct? Um, yeah, we did the testing, a lot of the testing that we could, uh, we, we tried to get as many people that were on Mac to test as we could basically, because Mm -hmm. we didn't, we had one Mac machine that we could test on essentially (laughs) at the studio. Um, yeah, it's the, it's the engine RenPy can build uh, distributables for, uh, PC, Mac and Linux. And I think, I'm not sure, uh, where it runs natively, but it's sort of um, it, it seems to work very fine on all of those systems. So it, it was usually kind of it was nice that we had something like that because we probably would have just made a PC game otherwise, right? But well, yeah, uh, was, yeah. Sorry. The uh, the things that the problems that we ran into were very much uh, like Steam. We found out which is oh. just the handling of it and. Trying to get the achievements was, uh, for some reason, a lot more difficult uh, for Max and that sort of thing. Just little things like that. But uh, with that engine, you can be pretty sure that if it runs on one system, it's going to be fine for most of them. Nice. That's real yeah, nice. I was, yeah, I was going to ask what engine you used um, to build the game. You said RenPy? Yeah, RenPy. It's, uh, hmm. Not familiar with it. It's me. It's it's a open source, which was amazing. Nice uh, yeah. engine for specifically making visual novels, uh, created by uh, Pytom. I know him as because <laughs> everything's Py, uh, and it's it's sort of like uh, coded in Python, and then it has its own scripting language and its own screen language on top of that. So you can write in code in Python. You could write it in the RenPy language, or you can write it in the screen, the RenPy screen languages for creating your UIs. 
Well, that's interesting. Mm. Yeah. Multiple possibilities. Yeah, it's very good for um, for making a visual novel. It's what it it's really excels at is just showing images and doing the text scroll and moving through it. So in order to do other things with it, like the animation and um, sort of image maps inside of point and click areas was a little more complicated. I think one of the things that uh, I'm, I'm moving to a new engine now um, is that I really appreciate is having a visual editor rather than working directly into in code uh, for the whole thing. But it was, uh, it was an interesting experience to, to have to, to have to code everything like that. Right. You, you got to start somewhere. Everyone does, you know, uh, an open source. That sounds great. I'm sure a lot of people use that. I mean, visual, not, I mean, visual novels, are very, it seems like a new one's out every day on steam. I mean, some of the, <laughs> it seems like a lot of them are just these silly adult ones, but I mean, people can play what they want. Um, but well, I'm, I'm, I'm sure they benefit from it being open source because if, yes. someone, if that was a proprietary <laughs> engine, they wouldn't be able to do their adult themed games on it. You know? Right. That's <laughs> true. That's true. Yeah. Um, yeah, uh, going back a while, uh, back to the topic of your inspirations, the Doki Doki Literature Club. I just want to, I just want to mention, highlight that really quick because I think it's a very interesting game, in, uh, in that it's in uh, basically like its first impressions. It appears to just be this like cutesy high school, you know, anime girl stuff, um, and then it takes some really serious but very like compelling and interesting turns. Mm. Uh, I don't want to like say too much more than that, just because people should play it. It's free; you can just go play it. Um, basically, don't just look at the screenshots and go, "This game isn't for me." Like, if you want like a psychological story, like go play that game. It's really, really interesting. And I wanted to pivot a little bit and talk about um, themes in games. Like, and this is something I want to discuss more in future podcasts with um, Ted and Lily specifically, and like military stuff. Lily's our other co-host she's not here today she's uh in training in an undisclosed location she said she'd have to kill us or something if uh yeah, she told us um but as far as like your themes go you know there's things like um team drama and romance um or this like divorce dad thing like these are very um interesting interesting things and games tackle all kinds of things these days to um varying degrees of success um whether it's social or political or um you know, romantic or whatever. Uh, some games, again, going back to Bioshock, I happen to like these games. Bioshock Infinite started talking about the idea of like racism and class disparity, but then just dropped those themes and went off to like time travel yeah. stuff. Um, <laughs> so I don't like, it's not like a huge problem, but it's like, oh, this is interesting. They're actually trying to tackle this. I wonder what this game has to say about it. And then they just drop it. And I'm like, but I wanted to know what you had like, what were you going to say about this thing? And you didn't say it like, that's kind of annoying. So um, like in your mind, should there be more or less within reason, like no limits to the kind of themes a game should tackle? Is it all about how it's presented or how like tasteful or how, uh, what do you call it? Appropriate. Like in your mind, like if you, do you have any comments on that sort of a thought process? Well, I think the reason why a, a Bioshock game will bring something up like that and then drop it, is because it's very hard for a corporation to say anything about anything, almost. Right, you know? right. And so they want to give the appearance of being adult-themed or interesting, but they can't follow through with that because uh, when when you really sit down in a boardroom meeting with your lawyers, you find out that you actually can't say anything. You actually have nothing to say about this, right? Right. Uh, Good point. And it's like uh, Watch Dogs is the same kind of situation. Like, okay, privacy is being violated. Um, There's class disparity, uh, government control. But what do you what do you have to say about that? What can you say about that? Right. Uh, When you're when you're Ubisoft. (laughs) Like, yeah, ultimately, like uh, it, it, it takes someone to have something to say in order to deliver on a theme like that. And. I don't think right. that that comes from a place of of that kind of structure that you would get anything. So I think ultimately, I think that there should be a, a way of looking at it uh, where almost anything's on the table 
if you're an indie developer, but I really think that, uh, and excuse my language, that these big corporations should stay the fuck in their lane because and 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 make sort of the roller coaster rides because they're they're just embarrassing themselves every time they they kind of present these themes and then back away from them. right people know. and then they have to go into these ridiculous interviews where they say you know call of duty isn't political i mean come on really <laughs> you can't have a war game that's not political it just doesn't work that way yeah, no, I def I definitely feel that. Um, and what 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 you said, I think, is very key. Um, like, what what do they have to say? Um, or they end up teasing it, dipping the player's toes, maybe, and then like, whoops, they just drop it, and we're off to the next set piece or whatever. Um, or or yeah, it's very surface level in most cases. Every now and then, um, there's maybe not AAA, maybe more like AA games that dig into this. Spec Ops: The Line or something is actually like very interesting game, older game. Um, but it seems like rare that a bigger game comes along with something to say. Um, and it tends to be the indie games or somewhere in, you know, in that, right. Indie is a pretty big turn wide range these days. Um, but still, um, yeah, I, I agree. Like if you're just going to use like, let's say watchdogs, for example, if you're kind of, if you're basically going to use all these interesting slash serious themes as set dressing for your action adventure game. Like, is that is that really like? Should you really be doing that? Isn't that maybe trivial trivializing the subject? You know, of like, yeah, invasion of privacy and hacking or identity theft or class disparity. Like, if it's really just about this cool dude in a you know in a trench coat going around like hacking and shooting people, I mean, I don't know. Could maybe she should have framed it differently or had a different theme or something. If you're not gonna like um have an impactful thing to say about those themes whether it's right. siding with those themes or against those themes one would like make a stand make a choice or have the player choose or whatever but um watchdogs doesn't do that so <laughs> it's, yeah it's I, a I funny th- case with watchdogs where it's like um oh it's horrible you have no privacy anymore please uh click i agree on this uh, 200 page eula that says that all your data belongs to us <laughs> No, for sure, and I think um, I think they should really, uh, you know, take a take some pages from maybe Marvel, which I, I'm not a huge fan of, but they understand that their movies are theme rides, you know, and uh, I think that uh, that's what you can get. Uh, there's a place for AAA gaming, and that's to create these overblown spectacles, but I don't think that they succeed when they try to tackle serious issues because it's hard to criticize the system when you kind of are the system, you know, at the same time. So right. yeah. I think that uh, that's what I mean by stay in their lane. It's like, you know, the Spider-Man running around on the buildings, like only a triple A studio can deliver on something like that. But, you know, right. an indie studio couldn't make a game like that. But, you know, when you try to pretend that your game is going to say something serious, we all I think we're all waking up to the fact that they're just kind of trying to sound like they have. So they're just trying to get you in there when but they really have to do the bait and switch, because at the end of the day, there there is no thought to that. Criti- There's no critical right. thought to that. And they're not going to just admit like, oh, yeah, no, we we think corporations are good and we, we want to invade your privacy. Because then they then they would reveal how how terrible they actually are, right? Right. Or in the case of Call of Duty, it's like come Blair, mature, ultra gritty, dark, you know, super game, and it's like it's just arcade shoot 'em up. It's really fun. I play a bunch of them, not all of them, but mm-hmm. you know, and I think even in some of them, the story is actually pretty good. But is it like an astounding commentary on politics or war or? Whatever, not not really. It's mostly just shoot 'em up and cutscenes and spectacle and more shoot 'em up and explosions, you know. <laughs> um, so, <laughs> yeah, I I agree with that largely. Like that sentiment, you know, majority like kind of just 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 yeah, be the bombastic bigger game, have fun. I mean, it, still make a good story, make good characters, but don't like tease players with these kind of statements um, or yeah. introduce these themes, and then never do anything meaningful with them. You know, I don't appreciate that as a player personally. Yeah. So I'd agree with that. 
yeah. So that was that was interesting to pick your brain on that. Um, we'll be discussing that sort of idea with different themes in, in later episodes. Um, but I always like to hear what people think. It's just it's a recent uh, thought of mine. So I'm just starting to ask people mm-hmm. um, what they think about it. And I really like your um, your thought process on that. That was very illuminating. Thank you. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, if uh, there's no other particular topic, um, anyone wants to bring up, we could we could wrap it up officially here. Uh, Ted, anything from you, sir? No, nope. Senor Casper, I think we're headed towards an appropriate time for uh, yeah, more or less, Mister Titus. How about you? Any? Uh, how about any? You know, shout outs or or uh, you know, you can uh, mention your your games or your website or your social media or anything you wanna you wanna mention. You know, oh, you can drop it. Okay, great. Shameless plugs. I love it. Um, <laughs> yes, <laughs> we're on we're on most things at at Rocket Adrift. Just not Facebook. We know we don't use it, but pretty much any of the other social medias, you can find us there. Rocketadrift.com is our website. Find our game Raptor Boyfriend on Steam or itch.io, and order a pizza free game on itch. And there's a demo for Raptor Boyfriend that it says it won't work on your Mac, but it will. So uh, give it a try. Fantastic. Well, thank you very much, gents. Uh, Thank you, Titus, for coming on. I love that. It was a lot of great discussion. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next time. A big thank you to Kevin McLeod for the intro and outro music. Be sure to check out his library on the web. You can find more episodes of our show on our website, macgamecast.com, or in all major podcast directories. If you enjoy the show, please consider commenting, following, or sharing. Thanks again for listening, and see you next time.